0: Hey, welcome back. So today's uh, podcast is going to be a, a little different from ones in the past. And in fact, <clears throat> what I'll be doing today is, is something I want to encourage everyone that's listening to do for themselves. Essentially, what I want to make today's podcast is is sort of a point in time sort of time capsule or, or message to the future, whatever you want to call it for potentially for people to, to find, to listen to in the future. Now, of course, I mean, potentially I have dozens, hundreds of podcasts that would fall into that category if people uh, 10, 20, 100 years in the future could look around uh, YouTube and whatever format it exists or, or podcast platforms, whatever. This one I'm going to take maybe extra care to preserve, uh, leave in a lot of places for the future. And the reason I want to do this is because history, particularly not what happened, but how we felt about it as it was happening, the experiences we had at that point in time, is oftentimes changed over time, based on just the the mere movement of time, by our changing perceptions of events, etc. So for example, if I asked you, um, let's say you are a skeptic of 9-11, and I asked you, what were you? What was your perception of nine eleven a week afterwards? Well, I'm gonna guess, and, and and I know that's not entirely true for everyone, but I'm gonna guess that the vast majority of people that now would consider themselves nine eleven truthers, which I would, I'd throw myself in that category. Um, I was far too young to hold a whole lot of an opinion that meant anything when nine eleven occurred, but but a lot of people. They, they didn't go down that path until many weeks, months, years later, right? Uh, and and so I think it's interesting to capture people's perception in a single moment in time. And I'd encourage each of you to do the same. If you think this is a, a, a hoax, if you think that this is as big as World War Two, if you think that... Um, this is something you want to capture for, for future generations, for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, etc. Uh, find a mic or, or just use the one on your computer, your phone. It really doesn't matter a whole lot in terms of quality. And find a way to pass it on to future generations. Uh, but without further ado, I, I think a good place to start here in terms of my perception, my experience thus far, is to start off with a bit of history. Because, you know, if, if, if anything... For my own experience, it's true in terms of, of reading history. times, it's all too easy to think of uh, an event like a major conflict like World War II or a pandemic, right? Even if we're talking about a past pandemic like Ebola or H1N1 or or the SARS epidemic as sort of just an, an event that happened over a period of time. Um, but the details matter, uh, in, in terms of what happened, how it evolved over time, those events, and I, and I want to start from the beginning. As far as we know, from a lot of this is from genomic sequencing, um, from from people far smarter than I am. Uh, this this virus uh, started at some point in uh, November, maybe of twenty nineteen, November maybe October, um, and and began spreading most likely in the community of Wuhan in China. Now, obviously, there's People that speculate it could be something else, including something like a bioweapon, etc. And, and um, I, again, people smarter than I have allegedly debunked that. But I'm not, you know, willing to, to completely throw, throw out that theory. But I think it doesn't have to be a bioweapon to be... I mean, we've seen plenty of viruses sweep the world that have been plenty deadly uh, that have sort of naturally come into being. And and so that's, that's sort of my... Perception. That's my belief right now. This is a a, a virus that that mutated, um, and and you know owes some uh, credit to to probably some animal species, right, for for its creation. Anyways, started spreading at some point, probably November ish of twenty nineteen, in the area of Wuhan, a massive city in China, right, something like eleven million people uh, at the point in time. Uh, by january late december uh doctors in china were were sounding the alarm on this spreading virus this the spreading disease of of really unknown origin. Maybe they were just starting to sequence it now, just starting to learn about it. And 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 Chinese government being the Chinese government at that point in time, uh, figured that the best course of action would be to silence those doctors and and to act as though nothing is happening, which works for a lot of different problems if you're a socialistic or a communist government, totalitarian government in short. Uh, but it obviously doesn't help a pandemic. I mean, you you can't silence a virus by by just pretending it's not there. And so it went on to continue to spread through. Uh, the city of Wuhan, and ultimately in the entire uh, um, country of China, uh, officially killing several thousand people. Tens of thousands of people were infected, or at least confirmed positive, um, in some cases by tests, in some other cases possibly by, by uh, just symptoms, right? Um, it's really hard to say, uh, but, but you know, I maintain to this date that China's numbers are, are off, and I think that's ultimately going to, I hope that's ultimately going to become the mainstream view, much like, you know, look at something like Tiananmen Square, another Chinese incident that I think they refer to in, in the country, many people at this point in time refer to it as, you know, the June 4th incident. Right. Um, Where where the Chinese story is vastly different from, I guess, the Western media and kind of the mainstream view in most of the world of what happened and the amount of people that died that day. I think I hope that ultimately that's going to become true for the for for China, Um, that that the truth comes out because, look, China doesn't deserve the entire blame for this virus, I don't think, when it's all said and done, assuming this was natural, uh, a, a virus of natural origins. However, they did cover it up early on, and, and I think they, at this point in time, by the way, which is March 25th, 2020, um, deserve some level of, of blame for covering up the full extent in terms of cases, but also deaths. I, I suspect that the amount of deaths in China were at least a magnitude larger than, than what they reportedly are. I, I would guess up, upwards of potentially 50,000 people dead, maybe more in China, or I should say even just in Wuhan, probably higher in other places around China. But that's China, and that's where it started. And that's where a lot of people were focused on for a long period of time. In fact, I started my own podcast talking about this on January 21st, 2020, when this was, you know, dozens or probably hundreds of cases in China, confirmed, you know, unconfirmed, there's probably much, much higher, because of how fast this spread. And early on in January, other you know, cases elsewhere started popping up. Elsewhere in China and then elsewhere around the world. South Korea, Japan, um, you know, eventually, you know, Southeast Asia, Europe, uh, the United States. You know, these clusters emerged. Sometimes they were were single patients. For instance, patient detected in Washington. I think that was the first state that had a confirmed uh, case. You know, we later learned that actually that patient or another patient in Washington actually went on spreading it in their community for, for many weeks. Not them individually, but the descendant of their virus that they had. They eventually got better, but they passed it on more people, passed it passed on to more people. And it went undetected in, in some communities for weeks. And that's actually probably true for a lot of cities across the United States and across the world in retrospect, right? Uh, this, though, you know, as I'm recording this, this whole pandemic, is far from over. Uh, going on from then, uh, you know, the case here, case there. Uh, occasionally, you'd have clusters. So, for example, in Europe, there was a cluster, I think, in, in a a uh, skiing resort in France, maybe. I forget the exact country, right? Uh, and, of course, naturally, I think where people were first most concerned about it spreading to were were places with a high proximity to China, South Korea, uh, Japan, Southeast Asia, India. You know, even Russia. You know, early on, some countries just shut down their borders. Uh, Mongolia, uh, Russia, North Korea. Even they, to this day, I don't know what's going on in North Korea in terms of this coronavirus. But but a lot of those countries just shut down their borders. Didn't allow. A whole lot of people in. They later went on to, I think, restrict their borders even more. In the case of Russia, uh, they didn't want this getting into their country in widespread numbers. They uh, they saw how China had reacted, because China did ultimately, by the way, basically put a massive amount of their population, I don't know the exact number, nobody probably ever will, but hundreds of millions probably, and some level of you know stay-at-home sort of quarantine forced you know, isolation at home to stop the spread of this and though we never will know their total numbers, even to this day, uh, they continue to report numbers that are probably fake, um, that type of isolation probably did work in, in stopping the spread. Um, but it, again, it spread to many, many other countries. And initially, the concern was for places like Japan, uh, even Hong Kong, Singapore. They, they recorded early cases. And yet those two countries, as well as South Korea, which actually reto- recorded a ton of cases, uh, thousands early on, actually did a pretty good job of controlling it. Now, any of those three places may in the future, when you're listening to this, have later on become hot spots once again because they failed to fully contain, right? Who knows? I don't know. Japan, uh, at this point in time, isn't doing a ton of testing. So I can't really, I think the jury's out on Japan in terms of, of how effectively they dealt with this uh, COVID-19. However, it did spread to other areas outside of just... Asia, or, or at least that, those portions of Asia. Uh, two notable hotspots that developed uh, shortly thereafter was Italy, particularly northern Italy, which, as I'm recording, is still dealing with a massive outbreak, and, and Iran as well. Um, Iran, again, it's, it's hard to say what the numbers will be out of Iran and how in history will treat this. Officially, I think it might be in the thousands of deaths, but I think, you know, unofficially, we could be looking at tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of deaths in Iran uh, to date um, really a, a, a bleak picture and 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 part of it I think is is the nature of their government again more of a totalitarian regime but part of it is also just that that no country I think can be fully prepared to to deal with the scale of widespread spread of, of this type of a virus, right? So we don't know exactly how many cases and deaths in places like Iran, nor do we know that, you know, for a place like Italy or the United States, but, but we have a better picture. But then after those two countries, you know, we uh, along the way we see all these other countries, case here, case there, clusters, clusters, and then other European countries start to emerge as major hotspots. And by other, I mean most European countries, uh, Spain, Germany, France, the U.K., Switzerland, Netherlands, uh, you know, Belgium, on and on, Scandinavian countries, uh, all sort of, and then some Middle Eastern countries, and then, of course, you know, the United States. The United States um, developed several major clusters, major um, areas of community spread, including New York State, particularly New York City, as I'm speaking, is, is probably still a, some time away from their peak number of cases or peak number of hospitalizations, Um and then, of course, you know, Washington early on was a major cluster. Uh, places in California, uh, Florida is probably going to be in one. A lot of southern states, a lot of large cities in general, are currently on the cusp of having their healthcare systems basically filled to capacity. You know, probably days or weeks away from being overwhelmed. Not unlike what's going on in Italy. And that's where we're at now. You know, officially. Now, you have to take this with a grain of salt. Officially, the number of cases worldwide, and I'll I'll bring up the number I have here. I hope this, for everybody else listening in real time, you know, the day or the day after I publish this, I hope this is a good update, what I've said thus far. But thus far, we have over 400,000 cases, over 19,000 deaths worldwide. But again, you know, China officially is reporting only a little over 3,000 deaths, 3,200 3,281 deaths, right? Iran is only reporting 2,077 deaths. And those two numbers are almost certainly much, much, much higher. And then every other country on the list is probably also higher, just undercounting the deaths for a variety of reasons, um, intentional and, and maybe unintentional reasons. Um, but but again, I think we're still relatively early on in this. I don't know how this is ultimately going to end. Um and then, and then there's the you know the economic side of things. You know, I think I, I hope, historically speaking, that what's going on right now in markets in the economy of the world, um, people ultimately realize that that COVID nineteen the virus uh, is is maybe not the cause for this massive economic. Crisis and, and potentially collapse that that you may see in the coming months, the coming years. That it was simply the pin that pricked the bubble. You know, back like when when what you know we'd call the Great Recession in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. You know, everybody talked about how it was the housing market, subprime housing. In reality, it was a massive bubble, a massive debt bubble, and a massive asset bubble that again was popped by subprime. Mortgage—that was just one element of the bubble, and in that case, sort of the the pin that pricked the bubble, but it didn't blow up the bubble, right? COVID nineteen knows nothing of the bubble that currently exists, but is quickly being deflated. Um, you know, of course, you know, for for the sake of I don't know, posterity or whatever you want to call it. I mean, my my personal belief is that I, I think. This, this virus is very real, and yet the powers that be, governments, central banks, the world over, are taking advantage of this crisis to take care of some business they wanted to do a long time ago or have, have known they've had to take care of at some point. I'm talking about um, financialization of the economy. I mean, financialization, that's not a great term, but certainly monetization of the economy, monetization of debt, um, a restructuring of certain things, uh trying to think of what else you know um they, they've known for a while that they were going to have to do bailouts at the government level um that they were going to do massive amounts of, of asset purchases money printing at the central bank level you know all those things are happening you know in real time right now and and i sort of knew they were going to come i didn't realize that they were going to come so quickly nor that is going to be because of a pandemic um but I think that the powers that be are more than willing to use this type of an event as as a distraction, as cover for, for something bigger. And I don't know exactly what the, something bigger will be. Does it mean a revaluation or end of the dollar? Does it mean some sort of closure of markets and, and repricing of everything? Does it mean, I don't know. And certainly, I, I think that they may be using this for something along the lines of of restricting freedoms, right? Not unlike after 9-11 when a lot of freedoms were restricted. It's it's hard to say at this point in time. And, and I think for me personally, though, though you'll hear, you're you'll hear today conflicting opinions. I don't think that this is a hoax. I don't think this is made up. I think this virus is very real. I think there's far too many people that have firsthand of experiences of either catching it or treating it etc., or no people that have had it or have died from it, to, to just be made up, right? To see places like New York City, um, northern Italy, Spain, China, um, overwhelmed by this, and soon many other countries, I'm sure, um, many other, you know, quote-unquote third-world countries, overwhelmed by this virus uh, I think that in and of itself, you know, gives me evidence that this is this is the real deal. And yet, I also think that governments are more than willing to use this as an opportunity to crack down on liberties and, and consolidate power. And and central banks are, are more than willing to use this to to achieve their own goals that they knew they were going to have to take care of at some point or another, right? Um, so, you know, the jury is still out in terms of, of how this ultimately ends, Um but I hope that history looks back and realizes that this was a bubble that was um, that was going to pop at some point, and that COVID-19 just happened to be the, the pin that pricked the bubble, right? And, and the governments and central banks took advantage of this opportunity, right? Never waste a crisis, I guess they would say, um, which is unfortunate. You know, even as of today, I'm uh, seeing... You know, uh, a major bailout stimulus package being passed through the U.S. Congress um, to to bail things out, and it sounds great on paper. right? checks to everyone, bailouts basically for large and small businesses, etc. Trillions of dollars. I think this one is two trillion, roughly. I suspect it won't be the last. I also uh, know that that the monetary side of things. Ie, money printing and, and liquidity injection, all that um, has also been massive. The trillions of dollars over the past weeks. Um, it's it, short term. It's it's. I think it's gonna be a boon for I don't know the economy, but at least pe- people's perception, right? The government's coming in in the clutch for us. But but long term, I know the uh, the side effects. Of that. I think all my, my listeners right now know the side effects of that debt. And again, I think I used this yesterday, not side effects, the consequences of that debt. It's not some, it's, oh, this just happened to happen along the way, you know, like like with some sort of a medication. No, I mean, the direct consequences of that debt is, is a slower and slower economic growth as the burden grows more and more. But in addition to that, when you have a federal reserve, a central bank that's buying all that debt, monetizing it, printing money to buy all that debt, well, ultimately you end up with, with devaluation of the currency, which is... Which is extremely damaging to any economy. I would argue, over the long term, more damaging than than this acute shutdown of the economy right now. So, how about my own experience? Right. Um, again, so I've been following this for a while, and then, you know, over time, people kind of, you know, I guess caught on to it and realized that hey, this is a uh, this is a thing that we need to be watching for um, for the sake of posterity. There was a certain um, there's a certain man in office whose name starts with a T and ends with rump, who early on would probably count himself as a bit of a denier of things, right? I don't, I don't know how history will treat this. I I, I have a feeling history is probably not going to treat the guy all that well, but you never know. But, but early on, you know, he was um, basically saying, you know, we have, you know, we have 15 cases and I'm not going to try my Trump voice, but 15 cases, uh, soon probably none, not a big deal. Um, and, and today we have tens of thousands of cases across the country and deaths are mounting by the day and, and government at the federal and state level, city level, even just scrambling to try and keep up with the rapid pace of this, right? Um, there was a a really, in a key moment in history, our federal government was, was downplaying the risk of this. By the way, at the same time, there's, there's evidence that a lot of, you know, Congress members and stuff were, were selling stocks and whatnot. they're saying it's no big deal while they were selling stocks um, probably in anticipation of the historic stock market crash that, that occurred uh, you know later on. And then quickly you know government sort of changed their tone right all of a sudden Trump took a very much more serious tone and, uh, and and I wonder you know the. US is a massive country and my faith in the federal government in doing anything is is pretty limited. Uh, maybe non-existent, probably non-existent more on that area of things but but had a different tone been struck early on, I'm talking late January, early February, could things be different today? If we had shut down our borders faster, if we had in key areas shut down commerce and and social interactions and whatnot earlier if we had tested more and more early on, if we had ramped up the production of tests and of testing capacity early on, and of personal protection equipment and ventilators, because we saw what we knew, intelligence in the United States knew what was going on in China, in Wuhan, never mind what we were being fed in terms of news, I think they knew that it was much, much worse there. Had we taken care of those things earlier, I I suspect the death toll in the United States would would be far, far less. I don't think we would have escaped the pandemic. We're far too large of a country, far too connected internationally to escape it. We had cases here early January, or or at least middle of January, probably. Um, Probably hundreds by by early February. We'll never know. Maybe not hundreds. I don't know. But had those actions been taken, I I think history could have been changed. And, and, And... I get it. You know, re-election year, I get it. You don't want to sound the alarm too early. But again, I have a strong feeling that when this is all said and done, and this may never become public, I don't know, but I have a strong feeling that the likes of the CIA and other intelligence agencies here in the United States and around the world knew the full scale of what was going on in China. Maybe they warned their leaders, maybe not. But this was maybe not a, a preventable pandemic. Avoidable pandemic, but it was certainly something that could have been softened, and and that's really unfortunate. We're talking about lives, so so my own experience again. Um, people eventually caught on to it. Um, it was several weeks before most people had had hit the stores that you know I was maybe starting to buy a little bit of extra stuff, um, and my wife was kind of like, "Come on, now," you know, she gets it, you know. But she she gets that I'm a prepper and I like to think ahead and I always you know did my best to you know buy stuff that we were going to need anyways you know who cares we have extra dog food it'll just last a little while longer right well you know within a week or two social distancing became the norm schools were shut down a lot of workplaces were shut down people were going to the store to hoard you know toilet paper uh, but on the more serious side. Um, beans, rice, ammo, guns, hand sanitizer, disinfectants, masks, you know, all things that are very difficult to get, get your hands on. And, and, uh, you know, as of today, I mean, there's a lot of states that are almost entirely shut down right across the border in Wisconsin. I think they're shutting things down today. All non-essential businesses closed, right? And that's the case for a lot of states, not you know my home state right, right now, Minnesota, um, but still, um, a, a very different way of life, and I expect that this to continue for at least a period of months. Maybe not to this extent, right? But but over the summer, you know, of of 2020, and even into the fall, I think some of the the events that I think we've become so used to as as Americans, things like baseball, uh, football, concerts, graduation ceremonies, all those things may not happen or at least they're going to look different they may not be in front of crowds i don't know i don't know and i think you know in terms of travel in terms of cruise ships all of that i think that's going to be changed for a very long period of time because of the fears you know early on one of the um, things that i think will be etched into the uh the history books is the story of the time and princess the, the the ill-fated voyage um I don't even know where and is it was from, but it was over in, in Asia basically, you know, and ultimately it, it docked in, in Japan, um, with some cases on board, probably very few early on and, and when it was all said and done, I think over seven hundred cases of, of the COVID nineteen on on board at the time, two thousand nineteen NCOV and all coronavirus. Uh, later on, you know, renamed COVID nineteen and and uh and that's, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not like everyone on board died. I think seven people on board died um, as of now. But, you know, those types of memories, I think, are going to be etched into the minds of people around the world, of, of cruise ships, of, of travel. Um, and, of course, massive social events, I think, for a while are going to look very different or just maybe be non-existent, um, even once some of these, these official orders from the government are, you know, passed. Um, and, and maybe once the spread has calmed down somewhat. So this is a long journey. But I wanted to, again, record this for the sake of posterity. Uh, I don't know how this is going to stack up in the whole scheme of things. But I have a feeling it's going to be one of those top events in my lifetime. You know, globally and, and, and nationally. Maybe not the top event. I think this certainly can be topped. Um, and, and certainly I think 9-11 was a big deal. The financial crisis and the Great Recession was a big deal. Um, and, and for some of my older listeners, you know, they lived through, gosh, you know, the Kennedy assassination. You know, some of you may have even, you know, maybe been alive during World War II or the Great Depression, right? Those certainly were huge events. You know, landing on the moon, um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, the whole entirety of the Vietnam War or, or really the Cold War, uh, the entire thing, the Korean War. I mean, those are all huge events in human history, of the past 100 less than 100 years. But I think the COVID-19 pandemic of of 2019, 2020, 2021, I don't know how long this is going to go on for is going to go down in the history books as as one of the I think uh, defining events of our generation. So to those in the future and to those in the present, um although I mean all of you will be listening to this in the future, so I guess to those in the future, thanks for listening as always. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart and God bless.